Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel this morning comes from the first chapter of St. Mark. Now, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. I'm here today, admittedly, uh, with a feeling of emptiness. It's been hard to figure out how to process the events of this past week. I'm sure you feel the same way. Sure, lots has been splattered on social media, outrage, anger, so many different opinions, but very little, if any, common ground. The violent breach of the Capitol came close when there was immediate outrage over the events of of that chaos, but even that particular moment quickly devolved into even more shouting and division as to who's to blame, not just in Washington, but around the country around the world. It feels like a civil war, doesn't it? Which is why I have this deep sense of emptiness and, and sadness, a question that keeps coming back time and time again. Is there anything that will hold us together? On Friday night, David Brooks, who was probably my favorite columnist, uh, spoke about the first time that he visited the Capitol. He was 11 or 12 years of age, wide-eyed, filled with awe. History, he said, it just explodes before you. The characters of our past, they loom large over you. It feels like sacred space, which is why we call it our temple to democracy. I remember feeling the exact same way when when I walked through its halls for the very first time. It was 1976. I was 10 years old. We were taking a bicentennial tour through D.C. and Monticello, Gettysburg, and Philadelphia. I'll never forget standing in Statuary Hall or gazing up into the rotunda or peering into the Senate chamber, that, that location of the most difficult, challenging, but important debates in American history. As I watched the video images of last Wednesday, I felt as though our temple had been desecrated, more than just breached or intruded, but invaded, trampled upon. How did we get to this place? I mean, whether you believe Wednesday was the act of very few or the collective act of many, it's still an important question. How did we get here? 
Whether you think President Trump should be applauded or held accountable, the challenge remains the same. We've got to ask ourselves individually, but collectively as a community and as a country, how did we get to this place? And more importantly, where do we go from here? All of us, not just a few, every one of us. From those who, whose radical views have exploded into vitriol to those whose opinions feel smug and annoying. Sure, those who ransacked the Capitol should, and they will be held accountable, as they should. But our national angst goes beyond this one particular moment and beyond one particular group of angry people. It touches us all, and it requires each and every one of us to respond. Now, we also need to know what, what, what role do we play in this conversation. I understand my role. I'm a pastor in a church. And some of you, maybe not some of you, but some who have um, spoken with me throughout my ministry have very strong opinions that pastors have no place in political debate and that our political leanings as pastors should be kept quiet and unobtrusive. And I'll admit that I agree to a certain extent. Very few, if any of you, know how I vote or with what party I've affiliated my entire life, and you probably never will. But to suggest that pastors have no voice in political dialogue, it's absurd. I mean, come on, the story of Jesus is the story of a man who engaged in social and political dialogue his entire ministry. He spoke truth to power. He rallied against uh, regimes that left the vulnerable behind. He abhorred violence, begging his disciples to follow the way of forgiveness and love for enemies. So, so as we try to figure out who we are and where we go from here, why don't we start there? Let's start in the pages of Scripture, in the story of our faith. In fact, let's start at the very beginning, the very first story of faith, the first days of creation, when the book of Genesis tells us that the world was formless and that only water covered the face of the deep. Water, the building block of, of life. We'd never survive without it, so we really shouldn't be at all surprised that water pops up in Scripture 722 times, including this very first chapter of Scripture, but also in the very last chapter of Scripture. And these words, so very familiar, you remember, right? In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. I grew up thinking that in the beginning was nothing, but as it turns out, Genesis tells us that in the beginning was water, a, a formless void surrounded by darkness, water that was a, a place of chaos, water that, that represented the absence from God. It was a frightening place. Well, friends, in the beginning was that place. And that's just the beginning of the Old Testament. Now skip to the beginning of the New Testament, specifically to Mark's gospel that we just read from, the very first chapter. Again, verse 4, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to see him, and they were baptized him by him in the river Jordan. They were baptized in water. In the beginning, water. You probably notice that Mark's gospel doesn't begin in a manger in the shepherd's fields. 
There's no mention of angels. There's no mention of wise men. For Mark, the story begins with Jesus in water, and not just any water, but water that's all stirred up, and it's all restless. Why? Because the lives of the people who were there that day, they were all stirred up, and they were all restless, which is exactly how I feel right now, that we're all stirred up and restless that we're loaded down with sin and anger and confusion and craziness. And here's the amazing thing. The Bible starts in that place, in that deep, dark, messy place. But the Bible adds a twist, a very important one to to see. See, what does God do to that water? God speaks into it and says, let there be life And what does Jesus do to the messy water of the Jordan River? He walks into it, right? He doesn't doesn't walk away from it. He doesn't criticize it. He doesn't judge it. He steps into the middle of it. Why? Because when God steps in the water, everything changes and everything becomes new again. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that story, that reminder at the beginning of every new year but especially after a week like we've just experienced because it just feels like we need a reset. (laughs) And reset is precisely what's at the heart of God, as it turns out. I mean, no matter the situation, no matter how dark and grim it may be, no matter how chaotic or frightening, God is willing to step into that place, into the middle of that mess, and invite us into a brand new beginning. Reset. Here's the amazing thing. Look, God offers us this reset not from afar, not as some distant deity, not by avoiding the mess that we've created, but getting as close to it as possible. Brian Stevenson would say that he gets proximate to it. Eugene Peterson would say that he enters into its neighborhood and decides to stay a while, not to fight, but to love, not not to condemn, but to heal. That's That's the first thing Jesus does in his ministry. He enters into our mess. And then in verse 14, he says something very, very, very interesting. It's beyond the reading that we we shared today, but it's very particularly important. He then says, repent. Walking up out of the waters, looking into the crowds of people, he says, repent. In other words, let's start all over again. Reset. The New Testament ritualizes this first step of God in the waters of baptism, which we commemorate today, where we are reminded that God has brought us into His family. He sets a place for us at the table, and and He gives us the fullness of His inheritance. And then He challenges us with words that are so critically important, but so often forgotten. Follow me, He says. Walk in the way of Jesus. Be rooted in the way of God. But are we? Why do we so quickly forget that challenge? It should come as no surprise when I say that as Christians, we should care about the things that Jesus cares about, right? That's sort of obvious. Love, forgiveness, justice, mercy for all, peace. And we should want to be rooted in those things. But, and I can only speak for myself, 
But sometimes I have to admit, I go to bed and I think, <laughs> what was I really rooted in today? I mean, when I'm, when I'm honest, I, I realize that there are days when I've been rooted not in the ways of Jesus, but, but in anger or fear or pride, self-righteousness. I realize that I've been more concerned about being right than being faithful. I've spoken more than I've listened. I've expected from others more than I've given to others. What about you? What about us as a country? Look, there's a lot that went wrong this past Wednesday. And in the days before, the days after, a lot is just messy. There are lots of opinions as to why we are where we are. But as we step into the future, I'd like to focus not as much on the why, but the what. What are we going to care about the most? What are we going to be rooted in? Loyalty to a cause? To a, to a party? To a person? Or loyalty to Jesus? Politics that demonize? Or relationships that love? Causes that incite violence? Or beloved communities built of peace? Which will you choose? Because, friends, you've got to choose. On Friday, Mike Bitzer reminded us that we Americans have always been called to form a more perfect union. We have never been perfect, but it's our charge to try to be more perfect. It's not been easy, and we've made plenty of mistakes along the way, but our call is to continue to keep on pursuing a basic notion that all people are created equal, that all are endowed by God with certain unalienable rights, that among these rights are the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And look, if you care about this union, then you know that these things matter. Friends, it's going to take a great deal of courage and conviction and common purpose for us to return to collectively caring about these things where we can finally, maybe once again, look to one another as fellow citizens, not as enemies, with respect, not hate. Friends, can we pledge to get hate out of our hearts and out of our speech? This last year has been so tough. A pandemic, the brutal murder of George Floyd, a summer of protests and riots, a charged election, and now the desecration of our temple to democracy. It's time for a reset, for a new beginning. The best place I know to begin is at the waters of our baptism, where God steps into our messy lives and says, let's do this together. When I was a kid, I loved playing in the ocean. I could stay there all day, but I have to admit, maybe I wouldn't have admitted this back then, but I can admit it now, that when I was alone, it was scary to be in those waters. They were so murky. The waves were so big, and 
And I didn't know what was underneath the surface, but, but when dad would come into the water, suddenly it was a playground and I wanted to stay all day long. We can do this together. Last Sunday night, a fascinating thing happened. This is just three days before empty, um, before anger emptied into chaos. Senator Lamar Alexander, who's always been one of my favorite politicians, public figures, he was stepping out of his Senate office building for the last time. Now, that's next to the Capitol, essentially. Now, he's 80 years old, and he's chosen to retire. This was his last term. Uh, Alexander, Lamar Alexander has been the governor of Tennessee. He's been the president of the University of Tennessee. He's been a secretary of education. And most recently, he's been the senator from, from Tennessee. He's a Republican. He's a conservative. He's a steady voice. He will be missed. As he stood in the great hallway in the entrance of the building, which, again, which sits next to the Capitol, he uh, decided to sit at a piano, and he began to play Christmas songs. Now, he's quite the pianist. But all of a sudden, of course, it stirred up a lot of interest, and, and people started to gather. And of course, people were pulling out their phones, and they were watching and, and enjoying what was happening. But then something amazing happened when Senator Tim Kaine stepped up right next to Lamar Alexander, pulled out his harmonica, and started to play along. They played through all kinds of Christmas tunes and ended with Go Tell It on the Mountain. Interesting and important to note that Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia is on the exact opposite side of the political spectrum as Lamar Alexander, a Democrat, a staunch liberal in, in that particular part of, of, the, uh, of the country and in the political debate, but there they were playing music together. And what we later learned is they've been playing music together for years as deep, close friends. Why can't we play music together? Why can't we sit down together and play together and sing together? I believe that we can. And I look forward to that day when we do. As we begin this new year, friends, may we collectively remember God's promise to join us in this murky water, to walk with us into the dawn of a new day. This God who does not faint or grow weary, He is steadfast and He is true. This God who is our way, our truth, and our life, He invites us by saying, let's do this together. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we need help and we need hope. In our nation's time of uncertainty and grief, we need you to remind us that since the beginning of time, you have been welcoming us out of chaos, out of fear, out of darkness, into the dawn of a brand new day. Remind us, Lord God, Remind us that there is a river whose streams flow with grace and with love. And, and there is a peace that tears down walls of division. Bring to us, Lord, your peace. Unite us according to your purpose. Root us in love. Ground us in hope. A hope that is built on nothing less than you, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen.